1: Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
2: Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the show. Happy uh, Valentine's Day! And uh, I'm Tom Sumner. We got a great show in store today. In addition to um, today being Valentine's Day, and we're going to pay some tributes to that along the way. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're also going to recognize the fact that February is American Heart Month, and we have uh, a great guest coming up uh, during the third hour of our three-hour tour, Dr. Jonathan Chen, who is the Chief of Cardiothoracic Surgery in the Cardiac Center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia talking about innovations in cardiac care that can save and improve the lives of children with heart disease worldwide, worldwide rather, and uh, some interesting new developments there. We'll be talking about that. And in the middle of the show, the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with um, author Lair Torrent. Um, who is a clinically trained and licensed marriage and family therapist. He has a new book called The Practice of Love, Break Old Patterns, Rebuild Trust, and Create a Connection That Lasts. We also have, uh, i got an, uh, an email. This is more of a press release, uh, a bulletin, if you will, from Michigan's Attorney General Dana Nessel. Now, it's now... I I looked to see if she had done a little skit about this particular public service announcement, and I couldn't find one. But I do have and will share with you some tips on uh, uh, kind of a consumer alert on romance scams for uh, Valentine's Day, how not to get... uh, fooled by the internet if you will but we start out this morning with the uh, author of a new book it's called um to where you are and uh, love loss and finding the path home by jason fisher who joins me by phone hi jason welcome to the show
3: good morning tom thank you for having me
2: um what is that what does that mean love loss and finding the path home
3: uh, it's a It's a journey. uh you know the book is about my journey through grief i I lost uh, my wife when she was just thirty years old, and we had a two year old daughter with uh, a chromosomal disability and was later diagnosed with autism and so it was really a, a you know a twofold effect when I, I lost my wife I lost my my best friend and my partner. Um, and I also lost the mother of my uh, child that she was so connected to, and so I had to learn how to play and, both roles.
2: And and in all fairness, to you, a special needs child.
3: Right, right. And it, it added uh, a lot of stress. Uh, she had been pre uh, preterm. It uh, was a premature baby, uh, what they call a micro preemie, one pound ten ounces wow. uh, when she was born. Uh, because of my wife's preeclampsia, and so we spent 133 days in the neonatal intensive care unit uh, at the University of South Alabama uh, Children's and Women's Hospital, and so we had a journey um, before I had my my grief journey. We had a we had another traumatic journey through the hospital and and everything that that entails. So so the the subtitle of the book, um, "Love Lost and Finding the, the Path Home," is really about meeting you know my wife the uh, my best friend, my soulmate, losing our family identity and her, and then how I regrouped to try to overcome that grief um taking a while, but you know what my journey was like and how I got to a point where I I felt like I had successfully over overcome it and um, you know rebuilt my life.
2: Jason, I, I have to ask the book to where you are. On the cover, uh-huh. there is um an adult man with a a young child, a girl, walking uh-huh. away from the camera down a sidewalk. It looks like uh-huh. in a typical neighborhood. Is that uh-huh. by chance you and your daughter? it is yes i wondered you know it was one of those things that, it's it's a it's an incredible and, and compelling photograph jason mm. um Thank you. and and i thought it very it very well could have been actors but there was just something so <laughs> sincere about that photograph <laughs> that, that made me wonder if it was the two of you and and kudos to you for doing that um but that raises um a question about the book
0: mm-hmm. some
2: of these things that you're going through first you and your wife with the news about your your daughter i right? just the from birth on you know the struggles mm-hmm. with her. And then losing your wife at such an incredibly young age. I'm in my middle 60s, Jason, and I have people my age pass away and they think, oh, they're so young. But when you talk about losing someone at 30 that is incredibly young, these things are very painful. How do you find the wherewithal to share them with people in a book and and like you're doing this morning on my show?
3: Sure. Uh, it, it, you know, it took a while, Tom. I I started the the concept of this book four years after she passed. So it, you know, my grief journey has been, you know, fairly long, but, uh, you know, it it, it wasn't linear. Um, you, you, we didn't get from point A to point B uh, overnight. It took some time, and there were some ups and downs in that process. As you rediscover who you are, and and have to you know, readjust. But I found the writing process to be very cathartic. Um, it just took me a while to figure out how do I start my book? How do I tell this story? And, and the way that it's in my head, um, because I was living it every day.
2: Had you ever and, written before?
3: Yeah, I had written a, an industry publication for uh, for my uh, my. Uh, my position that I was in at the time I was a fundraising consultant in the nonprofit world and wrote a book for higher education nonprofit. Uh, so I had some writing experience, but I'd never had anything uh, like this. I never experienced uh, what it would be like to write something so emotionally and so you know, emotionally charged and so personal to me. Uh, so that was new, but the concept of writing was something i had practiced a lot a lot of journaling after uh, after she passed as a way to express most of that private and and really those became the foundational notes that i used to recall certain events the dates of them and um and it really helped to form kind of a healing process for me as i went through that journey
2: When you were writing the book, mm-hmm. how long did that take you? And and you say it was cathartic, but I would have to think it would be a little bit painful too, reliving all of those things.
3: Yeah, it, it definitely was. There were moments of of extreme difficulty, uh, well, some sadness involved. It took the book took uh, once I settled down and and really put pen to paper, 18 to 24 months of, of outlining, writing, editing myself before I even decided to turn it into a publisher for consideration. Um, I was writing the book in many ways for, for me uh, so that I could you know, make sense of what happened, deal with the pain, but um, i had always had the goal of sharing it with others if, it, if the story came out right. Um, and what I mean by that is that I wanted to, I wanted to write a book for, for others that might be going through the process so that they could see what, what it's like to have so many challenges thrown at you, um, seemingly insurmountable challenges at the time that you're going through them, and how do you move forward day by day and get to a better place. So that's what I hoped to share with folks when I uh, when I decided to publish,
2: Jason, is the uh, grieving process and and the path home the same, uh, regardless of what caused the grief initially?
3: I think that it, what home means to to people may be maybe different. Um it, for me it wasn't a physical location. Um it was a metaphorical home where you're at peace with yourself, you understand through acceptance what happened and you're able to reclaim the happy part of your life, the passion and find a find your calling in a new world. And and so my home had always been with my wife Mandy. Um since I met her, I just knew that she was the one I was going to marry. Uh, it really, truly was, um, love at first sight. And, um, it was a magical moment. And so we, we were happily married and, and, uh, unfortunately that ended early, uh, just, just five years into our marriage. But, um, but that path home was, was me rediscovering who I was, um, what I was passionate about, what i how I could best live out my moments to uh, to help my daughter and to uh, to help others, and I, and I found Tom that, that for me, public service and giving back to others was the avenue that I needed to. Uh, to travel down in order to be able to to make that happen, um, you know, you ha- I had to take the the selfishness of looking only at my situation out of the equation, and I got I got more uh, from the experience of giving back uh, to to help me. Uh, that's that's really where I was focused on to try to heal and. And it took a while to figure out exactly what that path was. But that is essentially the direction I headed.
2: Jason, um, we just have a couple of minutes before the break, and I hope you'll stick around mm-hmm. after the break so we can talk some more. Um, but Absolutely. How was the impact of your um, wife's passing on your daughter?
0: Well,
3: being two years old and developmentally disabled, um, she's nonverbal, so she cannot speak. And she I don't know that she understands what happened. Um, I do believe in my heart that she knows something happened with her mother. Um, you, you don't have the type of connection that they had, mother-daughter. Um, just, just uh, very, very in sync with each other, uh, and then have that ripped away and not have a hole. So I think it affected her um, in a couple of ways. One, she was missing that natural nurturing connection, but she's also transitioning to, you know, me being the only constant in her life, and. Um, while I was extremely involved as a, a father, I mean, we split the duties fifty-fifty because it was that important to both of us. Um, I still think there was a transition for me in the grieving process where I, I had to engage, and I had to, to, to. I knew how to do everything: feeding, and you know, she had a she had a G tube because she couldn't she couldn't chew, uh, suck swallow, or breathe with a cleft palate. She had several birth defects. So I knew how to run the medical equipment. Um, What I didn't really know how to do was to keep my mind on that process and to keep focusing on her while I was going through this grieving process. And if it hadn't been for my my mother and father-in-law and my sister-in-laws, I I don't know that I would have been able to do that effectively. So Mackenzie is extremely perceptive. So I do believe she understands something happened, but I don't know if she recollects what she was so young at the time, if she recollects what happened.
2: Well, my guest is Jason Fisher, the author of To Where You Are, Love, Loss, and Finding the Path Home. And uh, Jason, I'm going to go ahead and take that break now. And let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break for the listeners. If you're streaming us at uh, Tom Sumner Program.com, we I have some messages as me, well. Tigger, T I Double Gur, that spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner Program
4: on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs>
3: you, you, Always, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you.
2: Tune in Monday through Friday from nine to twelve, right here on ninety two point one of a kind. And check out our website at
7: TomSumnerProgram dot Discoveries—they happen when we least expect them, in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org.
5: Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community.
3: This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
2: And hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the author of a new book called "To Where You Are: Love, Loss, and Finding the Path Home." He joins me by phone, Jason Fisher. Jason, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that.
3: Oh, um, not a problem, Tom. It's good to be here.
2: Um, you know, I was asking you a little bit about the impact of of your wife's death at such a young age on your daughter, who was only at the time. But what about the impact on you all of a sudden, you know, having to to give all the, the primary care to your daughter who had special needs? Um, how were you able to, to function as a, as a full-time parent and be the breadwinner at the same time?
3: That's a great question. Um, I was fortunate to to have a a job that worked from home at the time, which 10 years ago was a little bit more rare than what it is today. But my employer was extremely generous with an understanding with the the time that it took for me to to get back on my feet uh, and heal. And they even allowed me to change positions um, and try something new so that I wasn't in the same mindset sitting behind my desk doing the same job that I was doing the day that she passed. And I happened to be there, Tom, when she, when she passed, Um, it was unexpected and suddenly, and it was at home. So I had, you know, part of the book is the subtitle is finding the path home. And I I said that the home was metaphorical and that the physical home that we lived in became very difficult to be in because of, everything that had happened. So it's not just the memories that were there, it's, it's, the, so it's the bad memories and the trauma that was also part of this as well. So it, had it not been for my employer really being as generous as they were and my in-laws kind of taking me in a little bit and helping out with my daughter Mackenzie, um, I don't know that I could have really pieced things together for the first couple of months. Um, I can only imagine if, it, if I had an employer that wasn't as understanding what that would have been like, or if I had uh, limited family help, what that would have been like. They allowed me to get back on my feet enough that I could start to claw my way back towards uh, a better new normal. And uh, I, I write about that extensively in the book that it, I, I give a lot of credit to others that were helping me through... A very difficult time.
2: And and for a lot of people, Jason, especially for a lot of men, it's it's hard to accept help.
3: It really is, and that is uh, part of the reason I wanted to write the book, because I want folks to know that if you go through something as tragic as this, whether it's losing a spouse or child, uh, or a parent that you were extremely close to, or, or anybody in your family or friend uh, list, it's okay to, to reach out and, and not even just ask for help but accept the help that's offered to you because people will want to, to do something for you. Many times they feel powerless. They, they don't understand what you're going through and they don't know how to help, but they want to try. And it takes um, it takes a lot to uh, to accept that when you're used to doing things on your own and being independent. But there's a the time to do it. Uh, I also am a big advocate of counseling. I immediately went to counseling right away. I stayed involved in counseling for a great portion of my grief journey because I think it was a way for me to better understand. Uh, what happened and get an impartial view uh, from somebody that is trained in how to help you work through your own problems and I don't think there's any shame in that either as a matter of fact I'm a, a large supporter of that So,
2: Jason did that help set the mm-hmm. stage for your ability to articulate your grief and your journey through it for the purposes of writing the book
3: it did. Um, it, it did exactly that. It uh, it provided a base for me to understand what my challenges and concerns were and how I would overcome them. And many of the things that I write about in the book are are a result of things that I worked through in therapy.
2: In in writing this book. Um, you said it was it was cathartic and we talked about how it was painful as as well um but the the title once again for listeners to where you are love loss and finding the path home um and i want to zero in on that to where you are where are you now
3: i'm in a i'm i'm in a much better place i'm in a A good place a good state of mind Um, I am still with uh, my daughter and I uh, just just the two of us at this point and and that's okay Um, I'm uh, enjoying my job and enjoying the community activities that that I've engaged in Uh, I had the chance to live out several passions in my life that Things that I had always thought about doing, but just couldn't find the time to do them, and and I made the time uh, for myself in order to be able to to look forward to something. So I went back to uh, to I had a master's degree in public service uh, from the University of Arkansas, and I went back to to school for a second bachelor's degree in meteorology because it's something that I always wanted to seek since I was a child and had a, had a degree in liberal arts coming out of, um, you know, the business and political science degree coming out of my undergraduate experience the first time. And eventually, uh, five years down the road, uh, I made a decision to, to give back in a different way by running for the United States Senate in Alabama and was in the, the historic race where Doug Jones, um, won our primary and ran on the Democratic side. And he won our primary, went on to win a seat from Alabama as a Democrat, the first time a Democrat had been elected statewide in 15 years. Um, And I was a part of that experience and and went on to work for Doug later on in in, uh, the office uh, in South Alabama. So I lived out a childhood dream. Of, of being able to give back and talk about my experience and listen to people and give hope to them that you know a better day is on the horizon.
2: Was that was that seat that Doug Jones won? Was that an open seat or did he unseat an incumbent?
3: It was a special election, oh, open okay. seat um, when Jeff Sessions uh, accepted the attorney general position right, under President right. Trump. It opened up that opportunity shortly after the 2016 election, so there were three years left on that uh, on that term. Uh, Jeff Sessions had been reelected in 2014, and so he wasn't up for renewal until 2020. So the 2017 election was was a special election
2: to fill out Sessions' term. Yeah, I had forgotten yes. about that. Was uh, Jeff Sessions' uh, Senate seat? Mm-hmm.
3: And before that, it was Howell Heflin, who was a longtime senator uh, in Alabama. So um, it it had been a while since it was uh, a Democratic seat, but um, uh, Doug was able to, you know, he was a great candidate and right candidate at the right time. I was really fortunate to be able to lend my voice to that race and participate in such a historic moment.
2: Now I'm I'm just gonna uh, take a stab at this, um, Jason. But I would expect people to come away from reading your book with with an understanding that there's life after grief. But yes. what what is it that you're hoping people will come away from your book with?
3: Uh, I I think I want them to understand that perseverance um, comes in many forms and it it takes some time and it takes some active uh, processing on your part as the person that's grieving in order to be able to overcome the challenges that you face Um, i i believe that time on, on you know there's an old saying tom that time heals all wounds I think there's there are some things that are so powerful that they change and alter you fundamentally as to who you are and you have to rediscover yourself and it's a healing process and some scar tissue there you're you end up becoming whole again but it's you're in a different place than what you were and learning to accept that's really important so when folks read the book, if they've gone through something that's been challenging and difficult, yes, there's a better day ahead. And it, it comes one day at a time, um, and it takes an active presence of mind. You have to work at it. You have to be willing to, you know, to, to have friends in your life that, and accept their help and, and uh, go to therapy if that's uh, what is recommended. Um, whatever it is that you need to do to heal in a positive fashion, um, new goals, new aspirations, those are things that you have to follow. So it is, um, yeah, it's my hope that the book is an inspiration to people that might be going through something challenging to help get them through that period of time that it just looks really rough and you can't see a lot of positives in your life. Um, I certainly had those moments. And when I thought my best days were behind me and, uh, and of course we can always reinvent ourselves, but we have to, we have to dedicate, dedicate ourselves to the process.
2: And how do you view yourself differently now after having gone through what you went through with the birth of your daughter and then the loss of your life and, and the grief and healing process? do you see yourself differently than the person who from the other side of those, uh, events?
3: Absolutely. It, it does change you. Um, I think that I, at my core, I'm still the same person, the same values that I had before, but, um, I'm much more sensitive and empathetic to, uh, others pain points no matter what they are whether it's a loss or divorce or a painful experience in another way um you know folks go through uh a lot in life and we tend to to be a very judgmental society and i think that i have a better appreciation for what people struggle with i'm a better listener um as a result of of what had happened because I do understand that uh, having gone through this, that it's the unexpected is, is the challenge. It's the, you can't prepare yourself for what you feel and you can't prepare yourself for what you're about to go through. So, um, you know, it's about holding on and reaching out, um, making, continuing to make connections and continuing to be as positive as you can be. And, And I think I've, Try to be a more positive-oriented person um, in, the, in the last 10 years.
2: My guest is Jason Fisher, author of To Where You Are, Love, Loss, and Finding the Path Home. Jason, this, uh, as, as we discussed earlier, you had done some writing before, but this was a very different kind of writing. And, um, and, and I'm wondering what you learned about writing. Going through this process of writing and publishing this book, and uh, do you have a, a the bug? Is there another book coming down the pike from Jason Fisher?
3: <laughs> I, you know, I, I would never say never. Um, I enjoy writing so much. Uh, it is. It was. I enjoyed it fifteen years ago when I wrote the first book, and and this one was just a different experience. Uh, what I learned about writing this time around was when it comes from your heart and not your head, when it's more emotional than it is logical, it takes longer to formulate your thoughts and make sure that you're saying it in a way uh, that resonates with exactly how you're feeling it. So in other words, it, it it sometimes takes a little while to zero in on exactly how you want to say something and what you mean by uh, what you say. But, so there's many more revisions in the process than there was the first time around. Um, it, it's not opinion, um, or, uh, or learned knowledge as it was the first time around. This is, you know, your, my emotional balance that, that I'm seeking. And so by writing out all of the different stories, and there's there's fun stories and exciting stories and happy stories um, that I include in the book. It's it's certainly not just a sad book. It's there's funny parts. Uh, my wife had a great sense of humor. Uh, one of the the best laughs I've ever heard. Um, she could just light up a room, and so there were plenty of moments that I could point to in the book that uh, that it, you know describe that and and that was the fun part to me in the writing process is describing who she was and letting her you know her memory live on through the words that i wrote this is um
2: an incredible story and and you talk about sharing stories in the in the book um does the book um, read out like like a story with an overarching uh, uh, plot to it, um, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Or is it a compilation of of days and, and anecdotes? how How does it how does it read?
3: Yeah, it's a, a bit of a mixture of of both. Um, you know, I, I had to realize early on. That if I could not write about my worst day, then I couldn't write the book. So it took me a while to figure out exactly how to start the book. Um, where do I start? And I, I decided I needed to jump right in to the, to the to the deep end of the pool and start with the most difficult moment of my life, and that's that's the tragedy that unfolded. So I take the reader right into that that experience and everything that uh, that happened that day. Um, and then I reflect back on the totality of our relationship over a period of time and just the love story that was there and how we seemingly had the world by the tail for, for many years. We had a wonderful honeymoon and newlywed period and um, I had a wonderful experience being educated at the Clinton School of Public Service at the University of Arkansas it was a uh, one of its, you know, the only master's program that offers a degree in public service. It's such a unique experience, and so we were just loving life. And so then that day happened, and I take the reader in the second half of the book through the grief journey process and what it's like to try to recover from that. Um, how to how I raised my daughter um, with help, but largely on my own, and how I recaptured my happiness over time and um and that's that's sort of how the book reads it's it's a a mixture of stories but there is a narrative and there is a timeline that's involved
2: um jason the um how long has the book been out
3: today Um, today is the launch day it's
2: officially released today and and what i was what i was um Getting at, and I want to give you a chance here in a minute to let people know where they can get it, where they can find out more about you and so on. Um, but um, what I wanted to ask is if you'd had a chance to get some people to read it and give you feedback and what kind of uh, what kind of feedback you've gotten so far on the book?
3: Yeah, I've had uh, several. Uh, friends that have offered to do an advanced reading for me, uh, just to more or less uh, give me feedback on the, the writing process. Uh, the publishers also had separate editors that, that uh, I worked with that gave me developmental feedback on the book. the The feedback has been terrific so far. Uh, very positive response. Many people. Uh, Tell me that they they feel like they know Mandy by the end of the book they know who she was, and they were able to to see uh, and envision what her personality was like and that is what I was hoping for um, It's always what I wanted to capture and try to you know, to have and uh keep for you know within those pages of literary immortality, so to speak so that's to me satisfying and they all tell me that they got something out of the book so um, that's positive and I I feel good about um, releasing it and letting other folks um, take a peek.
2: Well let me uh, let me do this as I do with all my guests is give you an opportunity to let listeners know where they can uh, where they can find the book, where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website that you'd like to share? Yeah,
3: sure do. Um, it is uh, all one word, org, And I, I blog um, on a semi-regular basis. And I plan to continue that for a while. Um, And I've enjoyed writing about this and and offering different perspectives on the topic. And uh, the book is also available on Amazon. And again, it was released just a a short time ago uh, today. So uh, it is now available, and printing has begun. So you can reach me on those two channels. And uh, I have a Facebook page as well that I'm fairly active with. It's uh, at Jason Fisher to where you are. And you can find me on that as well.
2: Well, Jason, thanks so much for um, sharing your story with me and the listeners uh, this morning and also in the book. And and, uh, thanks so much for spending some time with me.
3: Thank you, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. You take care. All right. Take care. Mm
2: -hmm. Once again, uh, Jason Fisher, the book is To Where You Are, Love, Loss, and Finding the Path Home. Now, we do have a break coming up in just uh, a moment or so, and uh, we have some interesting uh, send-ups to Valentine's Day throughout the show today. And, uh, in fact, I'm going to be sharing uh, at some point, I'm not sure where I'm going to where I'm going to fit it in, but uh, Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel has uh, reissued a consumer alert on romance scams in time for Valentine's Day. And uh, I'll just, I'll give you a little teaser right here. One of the very first ones on the list is never give someone you haven't met money. (laughs) <laughs> that seems obvious, but when we get into it, you'll find out that it might not be. In any event, uh, lots more coming up on uh, today's Valentine's Day edition of the Tom Sumner program. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOVLP, our voices is Radio 92.1 FM in Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend uh, Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And um, don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There is more of the Tom Sumner Program yet to come. Hi, this is Joe Byte from the Blue Alliance,
8: and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
3: This is our shop. Now it's up to you.
7: Yo. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again.
5: So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed it's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you.
0: Well, at least they call. No, I get it, you're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor? She calls every week. A doctor.
5: I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nussel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The
8: play that I want to tell you about is that Romeo and Juliet. Now there is a real thing. It's it's a story about how this boy and girl was in love of one another. Don't you see? It is. And everything would have been alright for them except that their daddies didn't get along. They didn't. And when the play opens, Juliet's daddy is a-throwing this big fancy dress ball, and he invited the whole town to be there, but he didn't invite none of Romeo's people to come. And his buddies learned of it. And they put him up to slipping on a costume and slipping in at this party. And he was a spunky kind of a boy, and he done it. I thank you. He done it and he got in there and everything was a going good till all of a sudden this girl Juliet come down the stairs and he was so struck by her that he give a soliloquy right there. (laughs) He did. And it wasn't about being or not being, it was about doing or not doing. (laughs) Well, the dudes, they won out over the dumps. And so what he done, he got her by the hand and started to take her out in the yard. And we'll never know what it was that there's going to do out there. We won't because this fella Tybalt, recognized Romeo for who he was and come up on him a trying to pick a fight. But uh, Juliet's daddy, he didn't want no bloodshed right there in his living room. He didn't. So all he done, he run Romeo off. But uh, Romeo didn't go straight home. No, he didn't. He went out and hid in the yard till everybody left the party. And then when they had all went, he popped up and looked around. And he seen this light come on away off yonder. And he says to himself, he says, heart. He says, what light by yonder window shines? <laughs> he did. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, Juliette step, stepped out of her bedroom window onto this stoop. And uh, she give a soliloquy. She did, friends, and somewhere in it, somewhere in it, she says, Romeo, Romeo. She says, wherefore art thou, Romeo? And he popped up and says, I'm right here. <laughs> I thank you, I thank you. Well, as it happened, there was this great big pea vine growing up to where she is a standing. <laughs> and so he clumb up it. He clumb up it, and that is where they had that balcony scene. And he, they hadn't been there but just a few minutes till he asked her to marry him. And that shows that he was an honorable boy about it all. Well, she says when, and he's... <laughs> Well, he says now, and that shows that he wasn't up there for no light courting, he wanted to get on with it. (laughs) Back then, the reason everybody lived in castles was that there was so many of them to put up at nights. Well, there was so many of them died that they had to keep a preacher on duty day and night. A Friar Lawrence was his name. And so Romeo and Juliet, they went downstairs and woke him up and told him what it was that they wanted to do, and he thought that was all right. So he married them right there. But then, don't you see, it was a question of where they was to spend the night, things being how they, how they was and all. And uh, Friar Lawrence told Romeo that he ought to go on home that night. And uh, Romeo, he didn't take to it too hot. <laughs> He didn't. He didn't, but he did. He went on home that night, and, and then Romeo thought that he'd better go off and lay low till things cooled off. And while he is gone, friends, Juliet's mama took a great notion that Juliet ought to get married. And then she was in a bind. She was, because she didn't want two husbands, because she figured that Romeo would be enough to take care of by self. <laughs> And so she went back down to Friar Lawrence to see what she ought to do. And he mixed her up a drink, and she drunk it, and she fell out across the bed there, and everybody thought she was dead. And they had this big, pretty funeral, and laid her out in this family tomb and all. And before that Friar Lawrence could get word to Romeo that she wasn't really dead, some of them mean boys that lived in that town told him that she was dead. And he figured life didn't hold nothing for him. So he went out and got him this big can of lie to drink. So he went over to this tomb where it was she was laid out and he opened the door of it and he says, "'Oh my love, oh my wife.'" He did. And he went in and he drunk the lie and kissed her and says, "'With this kiss I die.'" And he fell out across to that. And uh, he was a big boy for his age, (laughs) he was and the impact of him a falling on her woke her up and she woke up didn't know what was going on and she looked there and seen romeo a laying dead and then she figured life didn't hold nothing for her and then she took his knife and run it into herself and she expired (laughs) she did friends and the moral of it is if you've got a boy that courts a girl that you don't like or the other way around If you don't want the expense of a double funeral on you, the best thing for you to do is to let them have a cheap wedding.
4: (laughs) This was
0: another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
4: I Wearing the
1: faces she keeps in the jar by the door Who is it for all the lonely people Where do they all come from All the lonely people Where do they all belong Father McKenzie Writing the words of a sermon and no one will hear no one come to hear, look at him working Darn it, he sucks in the night when there's nobody there What does he care? All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Oh died in the church and was buried along with the name. Nobody came, Father McKenzie, wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave. No one was saved. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Up the rice in the church when wedding
4: has been. The Time Summer Program. The Time Summer Program. From the Tom Summer